You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Hey, it's Old Timey Crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And we are here bringing you your historical true crime I feel like I never do this. If you've if you've never listened to us before, if you just decided to pick the most recent episode, then it's that. It's historical true crime from 1951 and before, and we delve into the dirty details and have some filthy words about it. So that is who we are and what we're doing. Just a little quick business. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you use. It really, really helps us so, so much. And don't forget about our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. At the $5 level, you get access to not only our weekly episodes where we have, you know, we'll, we'll go into a crime that is maybe a little too short for a regular episode, but one of us tells the story and the other two generally have no idea what's going on. And you guys, how fun was our most recent old tiny crimey? It was, I had a blast. It was... Uh... Yeah, right after we recorded it, I went in, I got on the couch and and just uh, cried myself to sleep. But while I was there, <laughs> while I was there in the moment, yeah, it was fantastic. It was I had a barrel of laughs. So, my point is, how much fun was it? A lot of fun because in the moment, I felt great. Afterwards, I stood up and I went, "Jesus Christ, my foot hurts." And I went into the couch and cried. So, yeah, yes, he, that's how good it was. It's legally an anesthetic. <laughs> yes. yes, it was a, so much fun. And we also have, in addition to that, still at the $5 level, our, I think we're calling it morning edition, uh, where we do a little something different from the regular show. We might delve into a, a decade that's still kind of old-timey, but not within our regular purview. And this time, this month, what our listeners get on Patreon is old-timey newspapers. And all three of us delved in. Scott found a local murder that we didn't know anything about involving very well-known people in our state. <laughs> And I'm not going to tell you more than that. I, and uh, it ha they have to be related, right? They'd almost have to be related. It has to be. But maybe we'll delve in and try to find the family tree and see if we can figure that out. And did anybody <laughs> else know that they did hangings like 20 minutes away from us? I didn't. I mean, I guess they would have had to. They did it in. They probably did them right here in town sometimes. I don't know. We'll have to delve into that, too. I think in town they were called lynchings. <laughs> yeah, probably in Johnstown, yes. And Amber found some stories about a woman who had a very bad week. Oh, poor Mrs. Palmer. Poor Mrs. Palmer. And I found a whole bunch of random shit and then also the world's worst recipe. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, please join us over there. Come see what we've got. Give it a try. Give it some listens. We're gaining we're going up on 50 old tiny crimeys and then we're slowly starting to develop our library of morning editions so there is so much content there for you to enjoy and only a small fraction of it has appeared on our regular feed as bonus episodes and also don't forget our merch it makes a wonderful gift for the crime lover in your life especially if they're an old timey crime crime lover and it is oldtimeycrimey.redbubble.com so all that aside, 
Do you guys want to talk about somebody who uh, medical witnesses in court referred to as an imbecile? Those were words. Uh huh. <laughs> as well as an idiot and a moron and several other yeah that where they were considered medical terms. Oh, so we yeah. are talking. <laughs> yeah. uh, we the doctors classified this man as a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We are talking about Gene Giannini. Scott, you want to take it away? Ooh, yes, I will. Let me get to my notes. <laughs> Might be handy. <laughs> so, so we're we're going back to uh, around the beginning of the 20th century, um, and we're going upstate New York, Herkimer County. Uh, this is early. March 28th, 1914, uh, a Herkimer County farmer was delivering milk. For those that don't know, I think I'm the only one old enough here. You used to be able to have milk just brought to your house. Dude, my grandpa owned a dairy. My dad was literally a milkman. So, okay. Okay. <laughs> I thought, here's the thing. I'm I'll... the milkman's daughter, Scott. Oh. <laughs> oh, say. And nice jugs you have, too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so it used to be a thing uh, that, yeah, milk would be delivered to you. Around 5 in the morning, uh, a man would pull up in a truck, probably around 1914. It was actually, my dad was a milkman, too. I forgot about this. He lived in Ohio for a little while because he would talk about uh, delivering the milk. My dad liked the sound of the horse's hooves on the ice covered roads because they would put rubber shoes on the horses and it kind of made like a sound whenever the horse would walk. So yeah, I forgot that all about that too. My dad spent most of his life as either a soldier or a machinist. I forgot he also delivered milk. Um, but yeah, you essentially, you essentially, uh, every, every morning, there was like two quarts of milk just waiting for you in a metal box outside of your home uh, that was lined with styrofoam. And it was, it was kind of nice. And if you wanted butter or cheese, you had to leave a note. Hmm. But so this farmer's delivering milk. About a mile away from the city of Poland, Poland, New York, uh, he saw, and the only thing I found was like, Signs of a violent struggle and a trail of blood and footprints. So he sees he sees a lot of blood. He sees anything. Probably the first thing in his mind is like mm, dinner. You know, I'm, <laughs> somebody. You know, it could be a possum stew. Yum. Uh, what he finds though is Lida Beecher. She's one of the school teachers in the village of Poland. Uh, somebody had killed her and then tried to hide the body in, in a row of bushes uh, a couple of yards away. They found her umbrella. They found her hat. Not even hidden, just like out with the blood, right? Here's, here's one of the things. I don't like it whenever society kind of goes, well, this happened, so this person did it. But that's kind of what happened. They went, this happened. I bet this person did it. Everybody thought it was probably 16-year-old Jean Giannini. Is it, how are we saying it? Jean or Jean? I was going with Jean because I was figuring maybe it was just like G-E-N-E pronunciation-wise. I don't know. See, Italian, I'm almost going Jean. 
Jean Giannini. Right. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, Jean is spelled J-A-E-N. And it was, here's the thing. It was like, no, no duh. No duh. This, this was, everybody suspected him. And he was, he was not very nice to, to Lida. He, he was a former student of hers. He, he was disruptive in class. He was, he was a little jerk. To be fair, it was a school run by Catholic priests. Well, I'd actually, not to um, interrupt, but I think that she was just like a local schoolhouse teacher. But I think that when he got sent away, he went off to a Catholic school. Yes. See, let's see here. Expelled from school. Oh, you are right. My notes are wrong. My apologies. Oh, that's okay. Mm -hmm. On that note, I wanted to say that since we brought it up, since I brought it up, um, she actually, she, I want to know more about this woman. I wish we knew more. What I have is that she was actually trying to help him. She you know, was. She, yeah, she didn't feel like he belonged in her classroom, but she wrote a letter trying to get him into a, a good school saying, quote, he responds to kindness very readily. He is not a bad boy by any means. He is simply unhappy at home, but is ambitious and has other fine qualities that would develop if he only had a little guidance to show him that he really could amount to something if he chooses to. Yeah. Okay, so here's the thing about Jean. Jean actually was doing really well in school when he first started school. And until he got to the fifth grade, when he hit the fifth grade, he couldn't pass the fifth grade. Um, now, some experts said that that was because he had reached the level of his intelligence and that's as far as he could get. And that's when he started having problems and acting out because he didn't progress with his peers anymore. Mm -hmm. um, now, Miss, Miss Beecher actually was um, studying for missionary work and she was very interested in trying to help him. Yeah, she she. Uh... He was pestering for her to meet uh, for weeks to meet with his father, hoping that she would allow him to return to the local school. She didn't have that kind of power. Yeah, that really wasn't her responsibility at all. Like, that's not her job. That's not her say. I mean, she could write him a little recommendation letter trying to get him into a better school. But to come back to the local school, not her job. Yeah. And he was he was really bugging her about this. Like two two nights in a row, he was like, go talk to my dad, go talk to my dad. And then on the third night, she was like, all right, okay. Probably just wanted to say, look, I can you maybe explain to your son that I don't have this power <laughs> and maybe you can get it through to him? Well, I, I've, I've worked with individuals with special needs. Christy, your sister is special needs. Mm -hmm. Once they, there, there are times, once they get an idea into their head, there are certain certain individuals with special needs, and quite honestly, certain individuals who have no special needs, they get an idea into their head, and then they believe that idea no matter what. Because I've worked very much so. Yeah, I've worked with special needs, and I've also uh, I've also done customer care support for an internet and cable company. <laughs> <laughs> And one thing I think we should specify is, as far as Gene Giannini is concerned, we don't really know if he was special needs, if he was, like, th there's some signs of developmental disabilities here, but 
also, this could have been a lot of that could have been what was presented in court and how it was presented in court in order to get the desired results. So, I mean, we're not there yet, but I just wanted to state that if like whether he's special needs kind of still a question. You know what, though? I, I was reading an article that his his mother actually kind of lost her, her grip and uh, was drinking heavily during the pregnancy. And it's actually they, they believe he had fetal alcohol syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. And his actually his brother. He he was the final child of three to Charles and Sarah McVeigh Giannini, and he was born in in 1897. Jean was Jean was his brother was if, if Jean was bad off in any way. Oh boy, was his brother Charles much worse off? He was medical experts literally their their term for it was, and I hate this so much, but this was the way it was. An idiot. That's what that's how they defined it. He had severe developmental delays. He never really gained speech skills. They said he would just grunt a lot. His motor skills were very delayed to the extent that it was only a little bit before the age of seven that he started walking. And then soon after that, he died at the age of seven because he would eat so much that he he couldn't seem to control his, his appetite at all. And he asphyxiated because he had overeaten and then started throwing up. I don't like I don't. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Christy. I was just going to say, like, this This seems like it, there could be a genetic component and there could have been, depending on the timing, the fetal alcohol syndrome there as well. Like, it's it's really a, a it was not a good situation. And yeah, his, his mother, to go back to Amber's point, it, it did. She did uh, end up in the asylum the very first year of Jean's life. And then she died in when he was two years old in the asylum of meningitis and alcoholic heart failure, they called it. I, I don't think that we can put fetal alcohol syndrome on Giannini. And believe me, it's, it is the most threadbare of reasons why. I'm looking at the small features. Well, I'm looking at the prison mugshot of John Giannini right now. And I can see the little divot in above the lip between the nose and the lip and 99% of the time and that number I just pulled out of my ass right now you have to remember I'm on painkillers and just getting (laughs) over being a little bit drunk um dude El Jalisco makes wonderful margaritas Um, yes they do oh my god oh my god Uh, (laughs) booze um but I can see I can see like the divot in his lip and usually with fetal alcohol syndrome uh, sufferers, they don't have that divot in their lip. And this is a, this is like a hundred year old photo. I I can see the divot in his lip. Dude looks a little bit like Harold Ramis. But they they usually fetal alcohol syndrome is usually marked by a small nose and mouth. Like that's that's one of like the tells for fetal alcohol syndrome. And I didn't really notice that from the pictures that I saw. No, no. There's like this Harold Ramis. Actually, he looks more like a young John Podesta. Nobody knows who that is. <laughs> this is true. And then I, I want to point out that also, since we're, we're talking about Jean and his abilities, Amber mentioned that he did well in school. Yeah, we have his scores from 1911. He got 100% in history, 99% in grammar, 95% in spelling, 90 in geography, and 93 in arithmetic. He... He did better than I probably did in arithmetic and geography. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> like the, that it's, it's almost like the kid hit a wall. 
He did. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what happened. He hit a wall and not knowing how to push past the wall or being unable to push past it, he probably gets frustrated. He has an emotional age of like an 11 year old. And so he acts out. And it's acting out in in class that got him put in a special seat next to Miss Beecher. So that's why he started blaming her because he was sitting by her desk because he was always a troublemaker. And that was when he did show up. He also had a lot of absenteeism problems that were were another reason for his being expelled. You know, and once again, 1911. Like, I'm wondering, like, for such a change in personality... I got to wonder if there isn't some sort of head trauma there. I mean, I really, we have absolutely no evidence of it. I wouldn't be surprised if his mother shook him. No, well, I mean, she was barely around. She was barely even around the first year of his life. It would have had to, she would have had to get right on that. That's what a lot of the brain damage happens is is the first six months of life. Here's, Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. What I'm talking about is this obvious change in personality and ability to learn. Um, he's working on a farm. It says that his, far- his father's a farmer. You got to wonder, like, head trauma was not that big of a thing back then. If your brains yeah. weren't spilling out, it was a fucking walk it off, sugar cup. <laughs> Fuck, whenever I was going to school, if like, I remember getting beamed in the skull with a baseball and being knocked out from a pop fly. And- in the... 80s. I fell out of bed during literally an earthquake onto a hardwood floor. Remembered none of it the next day, and nobody ever questioned anything. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? You see what I mean? It's 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 one of those deals where, like, I remember my dad saying saying like whenever he was a kid, he, and he was a rowdy kid, he stuck a green bean up his nose, and it like his father didn't bother to get it out for until three days later. Oh my God. Like this was the 1920s. My, and his, uh, my dad's mom confirmed the story. And she goes, yeah, I remember that. You were whining a lot. So we used a pair of tweezers and got it out. And my dad went, <laughs> my dad went, it wasn't even cooked. It was starting to sprout mom. And <laughs> she goes, it was just sprouting a little bit. And yeah, it was, but my, I, I just have- I'll go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I just have to point out, this is amazing that we're able to, to go on so many tangents that are actually about the case instead of like... Isn't it going, nice? This is crazy. Like this one, it just, it, there's so many different questions that I have, but I think we should probably try and get on with the timeline at some point. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> they are tangents, but they're good and and on topic tangents. They are, yeah, they're very much, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, they do. Well, just the thing is, is that he had been, the cops had every reason to suspect him because he had not been quiet. Multiple people reported hearing him say that he would, he would hurt her or kill her. Uh, He had been seen with a wrench that would come up later. And actually, I found in one source that he had tried to procure a gun recently and been unable to. Yeah, and he... Hey, there was witnesses that said that he had threatened to shoot Miss Beecher with a pistol. So, like, he specifically said that, too. I guess the gun thing didn't work out, but thank God. The, the, the cops look at each other and go, think we should talk to Giannini? Yeah, I do, Bert. Okay, Ernie, let's go talk to Giannini. <laughs> and they go over to his place, and the father goes, yeah, run away that morning. Oh, whatever. <laughs> These things happen. They found Giannini four miles away. 
and Giannini willingly returns to Poland to the police station, uh, even though he knew he knew he did it right. So he willingly returns. Uh, so whenever he's yeah. coming back, Giannini goes, "They can't give me but ten years." Well, no, John, they can. They can. Uh, it's he expressed no fear at all. Didn't seem to care. Kid was a blank slate. Kid was. D- does anybody get the feeling Giannini was like, uh, like this was this was a serial killer that was just stopped on his first murder? Because he yeah, wasn't I very got, good at it. I, I got that impression too, because like yeah. he, he he felt nothing. Yeah, we have. Uh, they did they did a strip search on him. They didn't find any blood stains on him, so at least he he changed his clothes. But uh, they did find that his coat uh, was missing a button, and they found the identical button at the crime scene. So um, starting to look a little, even more like they, they're starting to actually pile on evidence instead of just suspicion. Well, and then was... he just uh, oh, go ahead, Chris. Sorry, I was just gonna say. Then he just out and out confesses. Right. We have we have a whole confession. And he it didn't just. It wasn't a thing like either where it was like, yeah, I, you got me with the whole button thing. You got me. I did it. It was kind of like he stood up and did the superhero pose and went, yes, I killed her. Yeah, he was and he went into it. detail. It's, uh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read his whole confession. <laughs> Give me about 10 minutes here. Um, I went to, and we, we get motive here too. I went to school to lie to Beecher and had trouble with her and wanted to get revenge. I met her above the hotel and walked up the street with her up beyond the stone quarry. She had been a coming. Yes, it's written like that to see my folks about school and was a coming up to see them last night. And I told her they lived up the hill and we went. And when we got up there on the left side of the road, I hit her with a monkey wrench that I got out of my father's barn. I had the wrench in my pocket when I went up. After I'd hit her about three times with the wrench, I hit her with a knife several times to be sure to finish her. As an aside, 24 times he stabbed her. And he then didn't I took count her- that high. Damn it, Amber. Oh, he got a 93% in arithmetic, Amber. In the, yeah, in the fifth grade. I mean, he had to, he had to use then, his hands twice, but he can do it. Yeah. And then I took over, took her over in the lot. I dragged her by the foot and then I went home and got there about 7.30. The knife I stabbed her with was one that belonged to my father and I took it home and put it in the pantry drawer. I left the wrench somewhere near where I hit her. When I hit her first, she did not scream but moaned. She said that she thought it was quite a ways and she did not see any house. That was because he had told her his dad was at a new house that he was putting up in order to get her out of sight. I was not afraid when I got home. I was just as happy as I ever was and didn't think anything about it as I thought I had revenge. Whenever I read over the confession, there is one thing that jumped out at me where he puts the knife back. Yeah. Yeah. Can you you imagine being like his dad and going like, did I use that knife? (laughs) Did I use, did I use the knife that has the soul of a woman on it? to like cut up my steak and potatoes this morning. See, here, here's the thing. And this is why I'm going to agree with Scott on, he was a serial killer in the making. He spent days talking her into coming to talk to his dad days. Yep. He had the weapon in his pocket, ready to go. He had a plan about lying about where his dad lived to get her somewhere that was kind of off the beaten path. No pun intended. Um, so, like, this is all super premeditated. And just to finish that off, after he confessed, he said, 
yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I'm sorry I got caught, but I'm not sorry for what I did, and I would do it all over again if I had the chance. Do you, and this is just this is just a thought that's like kind of rattling around in my brain. Do you think he had like feelings for Beecher, and that's why he acted out, and that's, that's why he decided to to you know it's in a serial killer's mind you know there is a connection between sex and the act of murder you take a look at like ed kemper you take a look at ted bundy well how very freudian of you yeah (laughs) they they do bring that up in the case but it's more actually trying to excuse it in the worst possible way by making it not look premeditated to take that more like even worse aspect away that aggravating factor so they do kind of bring up some evidence like for instance when he was 14 he had been caught with two young girls it does not say how old they were uh and he was getting them he was in the woods he was getting them undressed and saying give me a second to find it in my notes uh Yeah, he was getting them to undress, and his reasoning was that they were going to play Indians, and Indians are naked. That last bit was a direct quote. So yeah, they do have this theory that they try to push that he just came on to her, and she rebuffed him, and that made him angry, so it wasn't premeditated, even though he was carrying around a monkey wrench and a knife. A kitchen knife. (laughs) I I played Little Indians before the podcast. I'm hoping to play a little bit more after. (laughs) I hope not with young girls. Not with, well, she's much, she is much <laughs> younger than me, but. <laughs> yeah, it disturbs me that they don't mention the ages. I'm just like, I don't want to know, but also how young. Oh, oh. so it's, it's, yeah, mm. they do bring that up. I don't personally believe it because he was ready. He had been, fr- he, he, the monkey wrench, okay. Like you might have been using that monkey wrench somewhere in a legitimate manner, but the kitchen knife is where it becomes premeditated. You don't just grab a kitchen knife from your house when you're going to take your former teacher to supposedly talk to your dad that you've been talking about killing for days. So yeah, I, I, there's a, I think there's a possibility that he could have been attracted to her. I don't at all think that that's the motive. I think that the defense tried to use that to somehow make it better. <laughs> Fuck them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is this little theory that maybe he had a crush on her, but there was no evidence uh, whatsoever of sexual assault. Yeah, they could yeah. never small favors. Yeah, right? Yeah. Now, the town was pretty pissed about this, obviously. I mean, the local school teacher, you know, like young, bright, had a great future ahead of her. And she was beautiful, too. Yes, she, yes. She was. She was like, I don't know, there was something... There was something very girl next door. She looked like a Lida looked kind of like a cross between Aubrey Plaza and Daenerys Targaryen. Well, she, she was a reverend's daughter for crying out loud. She was only 21. Yeah. 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 And they lived, uh, her father was a reverend. He lived uh, in Senate, which is 90 miles away from Poland. And not too long after the murder, he got a letter that said, Courts are slow. Law is mockery. Say the word. One hundred men stand ready to break the jail and tear the brute limb from limb. But he was 
not having it. He was counseling against it. He went to see uh, Giannini in his cell. And then he said, quote, he is no different and no worse than boys right here in Senate and boys in every village and city in the country whose physical health is weakened by cigarette smoking and other vices and whose imaginations are inflamed by motion pictures of crime and by cheap novels. As I looked at the boy, I saw behind him these influences, which I've always fought and am still fighting. And I held them, not him, chiefly responsible. And while... I can't get behind his, oh, the movies made him do it and the cigarettes made him do it angle. I have to say, I could never be so forgiving. That is just, it's absolutely beyond my, like, I sure I wouldn't be necessarily advocating for people to storm the jail and you know, tear somebody limb from limb, but I could never be like, no, it's all good. <laughs> you know? I, I, <clears throat> once again, here we go. Tangent time. I had, I had a cousin uh, who her name was Karen, Karen Novak. Uh, Karen lived in uh, Mogador, Ohio, and her mom and dad were in the car. Karen was in the back seat, and this is back whenever there were still lap belts in the back seat, so there was no shoulder strap. There was a lap belt, and they were hit by a drunk driver, and Karen was cut in half and took three days to die. The lap lap belt cut her right in half. Oh, dear. Yeah, and she was in a coma, three days to die, right? Parents forgave the guy. I couldn't have done it. Yeah. I absolutely just, couldn't have done it. I was like, please let me in a room with him. You know, just yeah. let me take him off this planet. Nope, they forgave him. And it's, it's a thing where the reverend even said, I have a, a quote from a newspaper where he said, my good friends, two wrongs do not make a right. Let the law take its course. Oh, like, yeah, it, it, I just can't understand it. And the, the town was so overrun with, like, curiosity seekers that they had to bury her at dawn um, because literally the, 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 the unusual hour for the services was chosen to shield the mourners from the stairs of curious sightseers. Mm. I just have another side note about another article that I found that I was just like, boy, they'll they'll use any any hook to make a lead. They were really desperate for a connection here. This was from the Fargo Forum and Daily Republican. And the headline is this is Fargo, as in North Dakota. Keep in mind, we're in New York. Murder victim Fargo depositor. She had a, a bank account. In, in Fargo, and that was their hook. Lida Louis Beecher, New York school teacher who was murdered by her pupil, kept savings in Northern Savings Bank. Scott had uh, juicy fruit gum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you know Scott knew how to write English? And the thing is that it's, I guess her father had the initial account in the, the Fargo Bank, and it said later his daughter deposited her funds there. Today, officials of the local banking institution received a letter from Reverend Mr. Beecher telling them of the tragedy. And that's like, I can't even imagine like having to write a letter to a bank in North Dakota across the country and being like, look, my daughter was murdered horribly. Maybe you've seen something about it in the news. If you haven't, you're going to because she had a bank account there. So obviously this is germane to you. Do you think, like, the bank started to advertise shit like that? 
Like, come, it come, had to have... come open up an account where the murdered girl's account was. What I bet happened was smallish town. I don't know how big Fargo was at the time, but you know, somebody at the bank knows about the letter, knows a local journalist, told them that that's how these things happen. I've been a journalist in a small town. That's exactly how it happens unless it's the 21st century and you also have a scanner. <laughs> so my dad had a scanner. I think everybody in Salisbury had a scanner, but to me, it seemed kind of grim. Yeah, I mean, I think it can be, but it's very, it's very helpful in, in journalism, let me tell you. So, so yeah, um, yeah, this was a big thing in the town, and there was actually the thing about this that makes me question things is how local people thought about Giannini, because there was a reporter who actually went around asking males in the county what they thought about the case and all but one of them thought he was just a normal kid he's just a normal kid and the people who were closest to him who knew us the best they were like yeah he's he's pretty smart actually and he was called a bright intelligent lad in one newspaper like yeah it just what we're gonna see here coming up in the trial it's so weird how that's not reflected in the opinions of people who knew him to be fair he didn't try to really endear himself you know whoever his lawyer was did not do a good job because he would say some weird stuff during the trial at one point they you know they were asking him you know about the murder and he kind of was proud about he goes the actual line, you you would not think anybody could do a deed like that so quick, would you? It's like, look how fast I can murder. I'm really good at it. I'll <laughs> yeah, do it again. That's not not a great line when uh, you, you've got the we've got the death penalty on the table here. He was charged with first degree murder and the prosecution. They wanted him to go to the chair. So, yeah, it, it, this was definitely uh, the stakes were pretty high to be to be saying weird shit like that. And the, the prosecution, they basically were like, here's his motive. He said it, literally, revenge for being kicked out and, and all this stuff. I mean, it, it amazes me how we see the defense twist that, though, later. Like, <laughs> yeah. It, isn't that weird? Like, the defense later is like, well, yeah, he said that, but it's only because he's an imbecile. As they put it. And I'm like, but, but, and another thing that to, to go to the, the serial killer comments, the murder weapons, they brought them out in court to show to the jury, this monkey wrench and this knife. He was, he wasn't just sitting there stone faced. He wasn't looking away. He was smirking. He was winking. He was smiling. Do you know who he kind of puts me in the mind of the, the attitude Martin Shkreli. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, just any sociopath, pick one. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Welcome to 2020. We have real supervillains now. Yeah. Oh, my God. But it was, uh, it was, it was kind of interesting because the, the witnesses established that, that John had confronted Lida three nights in a row. Uh, several of the Poland residents saw Giannini with with the murder weapons and i mean it was a large we're not talking like you know oh like a monkey wrench about six inches long no we're talking a large rusty monkey wrench and people they would bring people into court and going did you see him with the monkey wrench yeah 
And then he said, I asked him what he was doing with it, and Giannini would just go, I have use for it. Oh, yeah. Isn't that creepy? Yeah. So... But you know what? I, I love oh. how they, they then try to turn around and be like, there was no premeditation. He yeah. he could have been thinking about killing himself, not somebody else. I'm like, with a fucking wrench? Are yeah. you yeah. serious? Dude, <laughs> if, you, if you kill yourself with a monkey wrench, you really wanted to fucking die. I'd be <laughs> impressed. I <Yeah>. would. <laughs> yeah. So wow. yeah, the prosecution just basically uses the witnesses that they have who, you know, saw and heard all this stuff. And and he was really I think I think he was manipulating her in the way that he was talking to her because we actually have a quote from him where one of or the one of the witnesses told the the, the jury she said, you know, he was like, when are you going to go see my dad? And she said, well, I really can't say when. And he said, oh, I don't believe you intend to come at all. You will wait until summertime and go home and then it will be too late. That feels so manipulative to me. Mm-hmm. Mm. That doesn't feel like. Uh, that feels like somebody who's actually smart and trying to emotionally manipulate somebody. Yeah, but the defense the defense comes up with this thing of like, this isn't, you're seeing a 16-year-old boy. You're seeing a killer. But you need to look at this as, this is really a 10-year-old mind inside of a 16-year-old body. And like they, uh, they had Giannini's father uh, testify about this one time that Giannini took a model train set and tried to build tracks from kindling wood. And Charles Giannini, his father, goes, he couldn't make it work, of course. And we all laughed at him. Yeah, yeah. And then they also discussed how much he enjoyed masturbating. And well, who that... doesn't? And, really? but yeah. I, I love that the general opinion that they expressed about that was, well, obviously, if he, if he masturbates, he's a coward. Of course. I guess if you don't approach I, women. I don't think so. I, don't th but, I love whitewater wristing. It is <laughs> one to, of to my get... favorite activities. I think Amber is a, probably one of Johnstown's greatest DJs. Just <laughs> ex exactly, just just rubbing that out. DJ and, Amber oh. on the wheel of steel. To steer us away from this as quickly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I also I struggle a lot with this whole idea of oh well he's a ten year old in a sixteen year old's body. How many 10-year-olds murder? Like, not very many. They are that is very, very rare. We I don't I don't think we've come upon any in the, the 80 some cases that we've done. And add the almost 50 old tiny crimies to that. I know like, what I'm finding for next week. I was gonna say pre oh boy. pre 1900 if you find out that your your child's like murdered his sister, I think you just take him out in the woods and kill him. I guess so. Yeah. I never had any children. What do you mean, Zeke? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you were hallucinating that whole time. The defense rests. <laughs> yeah, so they did the the prosecution, they did their thing and the defense tried to to spin it around and do this 10-year-old and a 16-year-old body. And then they brought in an an eminent expert in abnormal psych. And Scott, do you want to talk about the the I want to say bidet scale. If I, I don't, I don't. I was waiting for you to say bidet scale. <laughs> <laughs> you knew. You knew. <laughs> so here we go. 
in the late 19th century, there were some psychologists who just happened to be French. We're not going to hold it against them. Um, they created what they believed to be a reliable way of kind of figuring out how some how how old somebody really was. We're not talking physical age. We're talking mental age. And this is the Stanford Binet Intelligence Scale. Uh, it, it's used to identify those who were, and this is the medical term, feeble-minded. Which, I don't know, feeble sounds like something like Jim Henson puppet of some... some you know what, though? Like. I really love progressive idiocy. That was one of my favorite terms in here. Yeah, these, these are scientific terms. Idiot, imbecile, moron. Now they're just what like my ex-wives call me. But back in the day, they were scientific terms. An idiot was anybody whose, whose mental age was three or under. An imbecile was somewhere in between three and 12. And a moron was... Somebody who had kind of like they were, they were capable of earning a living, but kind of incapable, like of how, how to put this, how to put this. They're, they're never going to be on equal terms. The actual definition is a high grade imbecile capable of learn of earning a living under favorable circumstances, but is incapable from mental defect existing from birth or from, from, uh, or from an early age of competing on equal terms with his normal fellows or of managing himself or his affairs with ordinary prudence. Okay, but I would just like to point out that uh, that Goddard, who was was part of all this... Yeah, Henry uh, Herbert Goddard. Doctor. <laughs> Reverend but, um, Doctor. I can do this game too, Amber. <laughs> Esquire. But he was he was actually a huge proponent of eugenics and wanted to sterilize anybody that was developmentally disabled. So I find it a conflict of interest here to be like, I'm going to label these people as these really demeaning names, and then I'm going to push for sterilization on top of it, just yeah, in case. I feel like... Seem like oh, go ahead, Christy. I'm sorry. It just didn't seem like he even put much effort into the labeling. He spent one hour with Giannini in his cell among all the chaos administering the Stanford Binet test. And that's it. And that's how he came to his conclusions. One hour with, with other doctors there, with the stenographer there, with distractions going on around the jail, a dinner bell going off, stuff like that. And yeah, that to me absolutely seems like you're not even trying. You're just doing the absolute, you're phoning in it. You're, he's phoning in it. Well, and, and this test too, it assessed vocabulary, reasoning, connection making, and um, like causes and consequences. So it was basically like a standardized test. It, yeah. It's one of those deals though. We're in, this is the 19th century. It feels like we're just about, we're like five or 10 years into medicine actually being medicine. <clears throat> it feels like, okay, just for example, what I did to my toe. I, I shoved a piece of glass into it, nicked an artery. I, I got to the hospital. They sewed me up, you know, and, and off we go. But I have a feeling like if this would have been like the 1880s, they would have looked at it and went, hey, you, uh, you did a number with that toe. I'm a doctor. Afraid we're going to have to cut that leg off. Yeah, right? Nurse, whiskey. 
uh, cocaine, get saw. Do you Something. want anything for your pain? I'm going to have whiskey and cocaine. It's, it's important you, you that had... you feel every move of the saw, Scott. <laughs> every move. You had, in addition to this, which really, you know, barely even counts as pseudoscience, and which, by the way, later was found unable to perform its sole purpose, which was to distinguish, as we said, high-grade imbeciles from people who had normal intelligence but were just a little on the low-functioning side because they had a bunch of people with normal intelligence take the, the test. 75% of those people scored below their current age level. So it was just a bunch of bullshit, well, really. It, it was just an absolute bunch of bullshit. The questions that the B'nai Simon test, they don't really have a right or a wrong answer. But it was, it was more along the lines of how you answered. Like, if they would go, what's your favorite food? And you just went, French fried potatoes. You know, then, okay, well. But if you answered, if you, you would score higher if you went, well, you know what? It all depends on the day. I, you know, whenever it's warm out, I enjoy something lighter fare. I think my, uh, my favorite food at that point would be like, you know, a pasta salad, maybe with a glass of wine. Uh, whenever it's it's warmer out, I do like I still like pasta, but I like warmer pastas like lasagna. Like if you would have answered that way, instead of saying just French fried potatoes, then you score higher. There's no right or wrong answer. There isn't like, what's your favorite food? Cotton candy. Oh Jesus Christ, this guy's an idiot. When you said French fried taters, you said it a lot like sling blade. That's what I was going for. Cool. <laughs> And then, and then that wasn't the only like junk science or pseudoscience that was being brought in here. The defense attorney, this was a guy named John McIntyre, and he was actually pretty damn uh, eminent among attorneys. It was it was said in um, it was said in the article from Fargo. Charles Giannini, the boy's wealthy father, has retained the best counsel obtainable for the defense of his son. The plea will be insanity. J.F. McIntyre, assistant district attorney of New York County, assisted by blah, 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 uh, who is instrumental in obtaining a second trial for Lieutenant Becker, are defending young Giannini. And actually, there was an article I wanted to read about Becker that was side by side with this. So that was, like, he, but he was, he was well known. They got the best of the best. And he's standing there like, oh, you know what else? Head bumps. God, <laughs> he brought like phrenology and shit into it. Yeah, fucking phrenology again. Why don't you just measure his penis at this point? Yeah, he had some phrenological, phrenological, and also physiognomic, which is basically this to really boil it down to the absolute simplest terms. How you look, like your just your appearance, your face, it, it determines your your character. So if if you if you have what the Germans call a Bechtethegeit, which is a, a, a face that wants to be smacked, uh, <laughs> then you must be an asshole. I even do. If I do, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he brought up McIntyre, the attorney brought up these things in, in the trial. He was like, look, he has these traits that show that he's a degenerate. You can just look at his face and see it, you know? <laughs> Your honor, he looks guilty. <laughs> yeah. And this McIntyre guy, boy, did he go full bore. His final summation took three hours. And he was just absolutely passionate through the entire thing. He was filled with emotion. He was so loud that people walking past the courthouse could hear him and stopped to listen. 
Jesus Christ. He's in there talking about phrenology. Ethel, can you fucking believe it? This this jerk thinks phrenology is real. I really fucking hate phrenology. Oh yeah, I'm me not too. Gonna, whenever, like, if if you want to see a grand example of phrenology, in the movie Django Unchained, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio talks about phrenology at one point. The bumps inside of a black person's skull, and then in like it's not special effects. He smashes a glass and cuts his hand open and bleeds profusely. At which point, I went. Good for you, you fucker. That's not for being racist. That's for talking about phrenology. Well, phrenology was really inherently, they, they it was almost immediately like, let's use this for racism. Yeah. <laughs> it was very quick how that happened. Yeah. But yeah, McIntyre, he, he also proceeded, remember, electric chair is on the table, as weird as that is to say. Um, he gave us very specific word picture of the process leading up to death by electric chair and also describe the actual like death process, how that would feel, how that would look, smell, etc., to the jury. And here's what was happening. Okay. So you had this electric chair death on the table. You also had the other possibility that they were given was not guilty by reason of not insanity by reason of imbecility. And he swore he was like, if if he ends up going to the the asylum, he'll never be released. But the thing was, this there was not legally it wasn't possible to sentence someone to an asylum for life. The law specifically barred that they could only stay as long as they were ill. So at any point in time, he could prove that he was, you know, sane or intelligent or whatever the opposite of this is, and then he would have been let out. And so he's, he's using this argument with the electric chair and they're not given any anything in between. The jury isn't given this option of going to jail for life. They're given the option of go to the asylum. Maybe he'll stay there. We don't know. Or death. And so it, it becomes this, this really difficult choice that they had to make. And but they were under the impression that he would never be possibly be able to go free with the not guilty by reason of imbecility. So they went with that. Yeah, it's it's probably what saved Giannini's life was the fact. Oh, absolutely. That, yeah. yeah, the fact that that he Goddard said, "Oh yeah, just because he's not going to the electric chair doesn't mean he's not gonna he's gonna be walking away free." You know, and I. I I got to imagine, you know, after everything they heard, I mean, it would be hard not to be swayed. Do you want to, do you want to be the person who executed somebody who had a, an IQ of like 85? I don't want to be that person. No, I don't want to be that person either, but I want to feel like there's, there's like some other, I don't know if we can say, I use that as an example. Cause we really don't know if he had an IQ that low. I still think that a lot of this was him i, I hate to, I, i'm sorry i think a lot of it was him faking but um, that that happens that happens yeah more than you think i whenever i worked with individuals with special needs i had a client who i was 90 percent sure was faking he was faking being special needs Wow. And Amber, you actually ran into him the one time whenever we were at the grocery yes, store. Yes, that was not enjoyable for me. Yeah. 
But oh, didn't he kind of put you in the mind of somebody doing their best to look special needs? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, just I would sit there. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Most of my clients, and I am by no means an expert, but I have a little bit more. I have a little bit more under my belt than most people. Um, most of the time, somebody who's special needs, if it's not something that they're interested in, they're going to be able to plan two or three steps ahead. This guy was fucking evil genius about shit that he did. This guy was able to plan seven, eight, nine, ten steps ahead. And if it had to do with, if it had to do, um, God forgive me, if it had to do with molesting a kid, he could plan pretty fucking far ahead. Oh, wow. Yeah. I and I wish I, we were on video so you could have seen where my face, what my face did when, when that went in a different direction than I expected. I don't know what I expected, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't, I was, I, I wish it hadn't ended up there. Yeah. <laughs> That's horrifying. I mean, Jesus. this, this guy had been, he was convicted of stuff like this. Wow. So um, oh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There are people out there who are faking it. I don't think, I don't think the, grand, the grand amount of them are. Don't get me wrong. I think it's probably very rare. One in, one in 50,000, one in 100,000, maybe. But it does happen. Yeah, I don't. I don't doubt it. it. It could even be considered something similar to like Munchausen's in a in a maybe a different variety of it. You know, I think I, it, I, think, just... it's, I think it's a convenient way that somebody intelligent doesn't have to work. He, he gets money from the state uh, and doesn't get people uh, expecting that they would be somebody to commit crimes. Right, right. But I mean, this guy, whenever he wanted something, he could plan very well ahead. I. I I don't know, Giannini, honest to God, he just seems, he seems so serial killer to me. He really does. He, he does. And the, the jurors, the, the poor jurors in this case, having had this, this terrible, difficult decision to make and then making what they felt was the, the best out of two poor options, uh, they didn't find out that a release would be possible until later. And when they were, like two of them were asked, if you'd known, would you have done differently? And they're like, yeah. Yeah, we would have done differently. Maybe not electric chair, but maybe we would have asked if like life in prison was possible. And that could have been a, a better way for their lives to go. Because after this, the town pretty much shunned them after the verdict. There were boycotts of any of them who had a business or worked at a business. Some of them lost their jobs. Some of them were, get ready to clutch your pearls, snubbed at church. Oh, my <gasps> God. <laughs> Did you see Patricia turn her nose up at me and walk away? <gasps> I'm going to cry all day. I think we should not forgive them. That's what a Christian would do. <laughs> yes, exactly. Isn't that hilarious? Jesus Christ. No, Look, it's my sure. face in the stained glass, Myrtle. That's me <laughs> up there. <laughs> so... Giannini was sentenced to the Matawan Hospital for the criminally insane. And they took him to the train. They uncuffed him and, and on the train. And he said, I ain't going west to the chair instead of east this morning. And he just on the train, his general demeanor was smoke a bunch of cigarettes and talk about the scenery, including this little tidbit. Huh. 
Little Falls. Little Falls is like Philly. Both dead and nobody to bury them. Which, uh, to which I would like to say, even though I'm, I'm not from Philly, fuck around and find out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. This, this sounds like shit he's just repeating from stuff he's read. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, it feels like it's rep- repetitive. Like it's something, something that was in the back of his head or he's, he's saying it for effect. But then he starts to show a little bit of emotion when he actually sees the asylum once they get there. And he says, I'll never come out until I wear a wooden overcoat. And once he gets inside, he starts sobbing. This is the first time since the arrest that we're seeing any sort of emotion that isn't smirking and smiling while the murder weapons are being shown to the jury. This is called reality setting in. Yeah, yeah. And what he says to the sheriff as the sheriff is leaving is, remember what I told you, I'll never get out of here alive. Mm. And he actually, I I read one report that he started having hallucinations while he was in there, auditory and visual. And that was not something that he had experienced before. This was this was a new thing. I, I, and I saw that and I was kind of wondering to myself, um, how how much like solitary confinement did they have this guy in? Yeah, I mean, that could definitely be for sure part of it. I mean, solitary confinement will absolutely mess with your head. Well, you know, there's if you if you limit the stimulus. If you're not, if you're in a dark room, you're not seeing anything, you're not hearing anything. The brain does not like having no input at all. So it'll start to make up input very quickly, like within 20 minutes. Uh, there is, there is an experiment you can do. It's called Gensfeld, uh, where you cover your eyes with like, you know, something just to block your field of vision, uh, People tend to use ping pong ball halves. They'll tape them over their eyes so you can keep your eyes open. You listen to white noise on a set of headphones. And in about 20 minutes, you trip balls. You trip and it makes, it makes absolute sense. balls. I've done Gansfeld many times. Uh, the first time I saw a giant floating eye staring at me and a southern preacher speaking in tongues. But I think my favorite one was uh, I saw a white light off in the distance and then this monster running towards me. And whenever it finally got up in front of me, it was like this, this big monster that had like an alien gray's body, but a giant UFO for a head and a wee little tiny face on the front. And I kind of thought to myself, what are you? And it looked at me and said, I'm your fear of being struck by lightning while urinating during an electrical storm. And I said, I I thought to myself, really? I didn't realize I was was afraid of that. And he goes, yes. And I'm here to tell you, just get rid of the fluid because you're less likely to be hit. You're carrying fluid with you. It's going to attract the lightning. Just get rid of it as soon as you can. You're going to be better off. Thank you. And off he ran. I've been afraid of that most of my life. I mean, I don't make it. I don't let it stop me from peeing. But, you know, if it's there's a storm and I'm peeing, I'm like, it does strike me that. I. Ah. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it does strike me that it's a possibility. And I'm like, I don't like this. Let's, let's make this fast. No, so, no getting rid uh, of my, the urine is weird. your best bet. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, I will continue getting rid of urine, but still quickly whenever there's a, a storm going on. So <laughs> Giannini actually, he did end up committed for the rest of his life. Uh, this, despite, you know, all the possibilities that he could have gotten out. He was at Matawan for, 
52 years. Then they moved him to another similar facility. There may have been some other moving around uh, before he died at the age of 87 after spending 71 years committed. And one of the directors of one of the asylums where he stayed said that Giannini was pretty smart and could have done well with his life, which actually echoes what his murder victim said about him. Jesus, I really hope the jurors got a nice apology from all the town folks that snubbed them. Yeah, right? <laughs> Look, Myrtle, it's me in the stained glass again. I don't have to sell him anything. Don't you think Christ looks sexy up there on the cross, Myrtle? I do. <laughs> oh, dear. Myrtle, I'll tell you this right now. Please don't tell this to anyone. If I would have been there during the crucifixion, I would have walked up to him. I would have pulled his loincloth down and give him just the sloppiest blowjob. Mm. You know, I, I, I don't blame Myrtle for snubbing you. <laughs> not not one bit. Myrtle, yeah, I'd snub you. Myrtle, you still there? You there, Myrtle? <laughs> Myrtle hung up. Myrtle's out. God, he, God, look at Christ. He's just fucking ripped up there. Mm. That crown of thorns is sexy. I think I got a BDSM thing. You know what? Like, I really thought Catholic school was disturbing, but uh, Scott, you're making it so much worse. I Catholic yeah. pedophile priests are going, would you just shut up, Scott? That's disturbing. That's <laughs> too far. Too far, Scott. Too far. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I actually, I went to a Catholic school that had like sexual abuse and we actually like. You made it, it sound it, like it was like a, like a, a like oh a pro. Like, <laughs> wow. Here's the cafeteria where we serve healthy food. And uh, over here is our well-stocked library uh, well, and internet access. Oh, and here's the molestation room. <laughs> well, no, like we actually called them bro jobs. Jesus Christ. Oh, like, my. It was a joke almost because it happened so frequently that one of the brothers would offer massages to the young boys. And they're like, oh, don't you want to go get a bro job? Jeez. Uh, didn't didn't one of your teachers throw himself off a bridge? Yes, that was one of the good ones, actually. Oh, dear. Yeah. To be fair, I went to a non-Catholic school, and there was a teacher that, while I don't know if he did anything, there was certainly a lot of talk about him doing things to the extent that one of our advisors for a club I was in, when we had to park in uh, a lot that was, like, in a wooded area far away from school, and then we'd have to go back to our cars after coming home at 10 o'clock from an event. And she was like, you know, always take a buddy with you. And somebody said something about this particular teacher. And she just kind of gave us a pained look. It was kind of like, and she almost kind of like nodded a little bit. She was like, yeah, because of that. Yeah. So I don't know if this guy was lurking in the woods or what, but yeah, uh, it happens, happens even in, uh, in non-Catholic schools, but yeah. So, okay. And anyhow, back to the case. <laughs> this is what we this get for was... talking about crucifixion blowjobs. <laughs> this is, uh, Showtime? This is the... <laughs> I, I don't think so. Um, this is the first case where intelligent tests, intelligence tests were used as evidence in court. And it's the only time, the only in American history time that we had a verdict of not guilty on the basis of criminal imbecility. This guy's too stupid to be guilty. Yes. Yeah, basically. Or he's so stupid that we shouldn't consider him guilty. I don't know. And I still I still don't know where I land, but I'm I'm definitely leaning towards uh 
I'm, I'm, I'm not leaning towards the quote imbecility. I'm not leaning towards necessarily any, any delays there. And I also think that had somebody, had I been on that jury and they brought up the whole 10 year old and a 16 year old bodies, there would have been a long conversation about how many 10 year olds have you heard about that murdered a woman? So that's what I have to say. So, so here's where I fall on this. Here's where I fall on this. I don't agree with the verdict. But at the same time, I agree with the punishment. I, even though this man took a life, I don't think he should have, uh, should have been executed. I'm fairly anti-death penalty. Um, but at the same time, like I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of, uh, of rehabilitation over punishment. So I kind of agree with the sentence but not not the road they got there, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I, I it definitely sentencing sentencing someone to life in prison, even at the age of sixteen, it feels so young to do that. It feels like there should be some consideration once their brains have developed. You know, once you've given them time for their their brain to actually develop, which doesn't happen until you're 25. Although they didn't know that in. 1914 so yeah and i'm i'm with you on rehabilitation i feel like he didn't get that for sure he if he ended up having auditory and visual hallucinations in the asylum then uh it was probably worse than for him than it was better would being behind bars for that amount of time in an actual penitentiary have been worse i don't and... understand why young giannani isn't responding to the treatments of uh of mescaline and laudanum it's weird that he's just let's getting put, worse. Let's put this ice pick in his eyeball and jiggle. I bet this will be fine. <laughs> so yeah, Amber, do you have a where? Where do you come down on this? Um, you know what? I I'm a case by case basis person. I really am. Well, on this case, on this case specifically. Uh, on on this case specifically, um, I I would have. Death penalty. Yeah. He had, okay. he had no remorse. I have no doubt that given the opportunity, somebody else would have pissed him off and he would have done it again. Um, I mean like, yeah, it's fine what they did. Like at least he was away from people forever, but in, in no way would I be like, well, he's 16. We'll let him go in 10 years. Just like he said, like, I don't know. There, there are times like Amber, I'm right with you. You know, there are times that I sit back and I go, this fucker needs to die. Like I, I remember the last person and I could see Giannini being one of those guys, you know, given the opportunity, the last person I looked at and went, this fucker needs to die was Dahmer. Yeah. Yeah. Dahmer was just like, he was just like, he was so it was almost like he turned in his human card. Yeah. I think Bundy deserved death as well. Oh yeah. I've read the stranger beside me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought Bundy deserved it about eh, three chapters in. I don't know. Maybe, maybe more than that, but it, yeah, definitely reading some of those descriptions um, was uh made you really just want to see him fry. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's funny because I'm definitely on an abstract level. I'd say I'm, I'm anti-death penalty, but then when we get to some of these actual cases, it's when you talk about the details, it's harder 
to be abstract because we're being concrete about the details and we're talking about specific people's lives and deaths. Right. And so it's it's so much harder to be able to maintain that value system when talking about specific cases because there is that part of me that comes up and it's just it's very it's it's almost it's wild it's almost primitive but it very much wants an eye for an eye See, even though I'm not at all a, a religious person it, it's really the package that it's delivered to you in because you can go oh, okay here's Ed Kemper uh, here's a guy who has a genius IQ he murdered his grandparents murdered his mother murdered his mother's best friend and a handful of coeds and you go oh yeah this is this is a sick son of a bitch does this guy deserve death and it's like, maybe, maybe not. But then whenever you go, yeah, he, uh, he raped his, mother, his mother's severed heads, neck hole. And you go, oh, yeah, maybe we should put this guy to death. You know? Yeah, it's definitely, it's hard to say what my value system is anymore with that because just, there's a lot of muddying the waters going on through specific cases. Um, I would like to think that honestly, there's a part of me that thinks that death is sometimes too good for some people and spending the rest of their life. If they have any remorse thinking about, uh, what they've done, <laughs> sending them to their room so they can think about what they've done. That is my version of punishment. But Jesus you know what? Here, here's I don't the thing. have a five-year-old. <laughs> he wasn't thinking about what he did. He didn't give a damn. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. That's the thing. Is a lot of them wouldn't actually. But maybe... I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still so blurry about it. And there's still so many confusing things about it for me. That for me to actually say what my beliefs are right now in any sort of certain way is foolhardy. So I'm going to give up on trying at the moment. And just continue to, you know, like, think about it and let it trouble me at night. So that's I believe that yeah. I don't know. Yes, I believe that I don't know what's right, honestly. Yeah. I believe that it is a complex and very difficult question that we as flawed humans are, are asked to answer. And I don't know how, as a flawed human, I can actually say one thing is right and true and, and the, the way to go. I don't know how I can possibly do that. I don't know if I ever will be able Wait, to. There, it's It's not always black and white. Like, uh, uh, a couple of months ago, I was driving through East Connemaw. I saw a wallet on the road. I was going to drive past, figured it's not my problem. And you know what? I went ahead. I turned around. I grabbed the wallet. I took it over to the police department, handed it over, said, do you know this guy? Cop goes, yeah, I do. There was money in the wallet. There was credit cards. You know, what's the right thing to do? The right thing to do is what I did. I, I turned around. I got the wallet. I gave it to an authority. They're going to get it back to the person. I, I kept all the money, in, you know, didn't take money for myself. And it was, it was about 150 bucks in the wallet. Didn't take any of the money for myself, left the credit. That was the right thing to do. Uh, this, this kid murders his teacher. Do we put him in a, a mental institution for the rest of his life or juice him in the electric chair? Well, that's not as simple as picking up a fucking wallet. Yeah, it definitely, there's a lot more uh, complex questions involved in that scenario. So, yeah, I don't. I, I think one thing I might need to make peace with is that I might never be 100% certain of my stance or if I am able to finally pick a stance, I might never be able to 100% say that it's the correct one, especially in all cases. So 
So that's where I am. That This has been uh, Philosophical Discussions <laughs> with Scott, Amber, and Christy. <laughs> Thank you for joining us and letting us depress the crap out of you. Um, I have a kitty in my lap. Aww. I thought that would help in some weird way. That does help. So yeah, that's that is. Unless you guys have anything else, I think that's I think that's John Giannani. That's all I got. That's all I got. All right. Uh, what are we doing this weekend? Which is halfway over because we recorded uh, the full episode later than we normally do. Guess what I'm doing? Not a damn thing. My foot's gonna be above my heart, and I'm just gonna sit there and like look at Transformers online. My life has become very boring. Uh, this is what happens whenever an introvert isn't allowed to walk around his own house. Oh. I am going to spend a lot of time swearing at the Chromebook from my uh, daughter's school. So we are homeschooling. It is awful. Um, they have a lot of blocks on her email and her computer so that they want videos and pictures of everything. But I can't email anything to her email. I can't, um, like, everything's blocked. I literally can't mm. do anything. So I'm like trying to find creepy little workarounds that I can like manage to get pictures onto her computer, but it, it's a lot. I feel bad oh, wow. for regular parents, Amber, because this is the shit that you do for a living is workarounds and, and, and technical work like this. Yeah, like today I was I was actually working and I had to stop four different times to help my husband with like her school stuff because he couldn't get into it. And, and so luckily I'm very tech savvy and I'm very good with computers. And so like every single time I managed to make it work, but like I couldn't print her assignment off of the computer because there's blocks on her computer for it. The woman wow. whose job it is to fix your internet can't work the school system computer. Stop and think and, about that. And like, I know it's for the safety of the kids. I get it. But it makes it really, really difficult for the parents who need ha to have access at least to the email. Like, even if I could just email stuff to her email and then, like, upload it onto her computer, great. I can't do that. I can't email anything to hers, and she can't email anything to mine. Can she get anything onto Google Drive? Like, a Google Drive account you could maybe access from another computer or something? No, I tried that, too. So the, the thing I found is since I do have her login information, if I use that and log her out on her computer and log in on a different computer, I can upload stuff into her email and then go back on her computer and get it down and then have it on her computer. But then if I want to print, I have to do that in reverse and save stuff into her email, go onto a different computer with the printer hooked up to it and print it from there. Like it's it's a lot. There's a there's a friggin' process to get anything on and off of this computer. Oh my god. Yeah, that is ridiculous. Jeez. Fucking insanity. What about you, Christy? What are you up to on Sunday? Um I might cross stitch, but I always say that, and then I I, I don't, or I, I sometimes do, but more rarely than I'd like. Uh, you got to do the one I sent you. I've got I've got another project. I need to make. I'm making Jackson's grandmother. Uh, I'm embroidering her a bird on a flowered bush. Um, so yeah, I got, after I do that, I'll make the one she sent me. That's really cute. Yeah. So yeah, that, and uh, I'm also just constantly looking back and giggling at a conversation I had with a listener. I'm not going to name names just in case. But well, you just did. Listener. Just in case. Oh, <laughs> ha, 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 ha. 
Um, this listener, their child came into the room while they were listening to our last episode and heard one of us, uh, this person blamed Scott, but it was probably me, uh, saying the word fuck rat. Actually, I think it might have been me. <laughs> I really, I could have been any I think, of us. I think it was probably, it a lot. I think it was me, but quite honestly, uh, it's probably a little bit of all of us. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I'm willing to accept. I'm this. willing to accept equal blame if everybody else is. Sure, absolutely. Blame or um, or credit because <laughs> I feel like I'm taking credit. Like, <laughs> so yeah. What happened was he heard the, the the word. The child heard the word "fuck rat," then proceeded to in a, a Zoom call with their teacher, uh, wish the the teacher a a happy fuck rat. So uh, happy fuck rat, everyone. We got a child sent to their room, and we would like you all <laughs> to have a happy fuck rat. Thank you for listening to our filthy words. Do all the stuff I said at the top. Check out our Patreon, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Uh, Christy, if you could embroider me, uh, like, on a sweater or something, uh, Christ getting a blowjob on the crucifix, I'd be so appreciative. I'll get right on that, Scott. My sources this week are Crime Capsule, CDC.gov, Mark Gribben on Malefactors Register, Stephen A. Gelb in Health and Place, an international journal, and several articles found on the Library of Congress's Chronicling America project. My sources are CrimeCapsule.com, MalefactorsRegister.com, ScienceDirect.com, NewYorkTimes.com, and Gutenberg.org. My sources this week are crimecapsule.com, mailfactorregister.com by Mark Gribben, cdnc.ucr.edu, Sacramento Union, and that's it.